morning I want to do something a little bit different. If you're visiting here today, normally I'm in the book of Mark on uh, Sunday mornings and in Exodus uh, right now on, on Wednesday evenings. And we love preaching verse by verse uh, through the Bible. Uh, but since I've been here, I have not done a Sunday on sanctity of life. Um, I'm not a pastor or I don't think we're a church that probably jumps at every day of this and day of that and, and we just get pushed around by whatever religious calendar is going on. Um, we love to preach the Bible verse by verse. But I think this is a unique time in our country. And I'm burdened for Christians and our understanding of life. I'm burdened that we understand who owns and controls all things and how we respond to a culture that really is producing more and more of a culture of death. And so this morning, I want to preach a sermon on the sanctity of life. It is, I think, today is the national day of sanctity of life. And, and so I would ask that you would uh, join me as we look at Job 31 today. Let me pray first. Father, thank you for life. Yesterday, we as church said goodbye in a sense, not forever, but in a sense to a dear pastor who preached faithfully your word. And yet, Lord, it's you who ordains life and death. You have all this in your hands. And who are we Who is to create it to disagree or to shake our fist in the face of a God who gives life and breath to all things? And so, Lord, this is another area that Bible-believing Christians bow our knee to you. We submit to you that you are the one who gives life. You take life. And you do it perfectly. So, Lord, I pray that you would strengthen us, encourage us, Lord. The troops face a daunting enemy. But we pray that we would stand in the word of God, in Christ. As we fight battles, Lord, that we know you will win. We fight these battles with courage, though, knowing that you have given us the message. And that message is found in the life that we find in Christ. And so strengthen us today as we look at this text. May we be reminded of the devastating nature of sin in the more than conquerors, glorious Christ who overcomes our sin. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Before I begin to preach this message, I I know this is a sensitive subject. And there may be people in this room or hear this message who have had an abortion or maybe impregnated someone who had an abortion. These are hard things, but the Bible has answers for them. And I want to encourage you to stay engaged. I want to encourage you that the message will not be just simply a message of the difficulties that we face in this climate of death uh, that our world is engaged in. But it is a message of hope. There is a Christ that's greater. And the, king, the key to everything we do when we speak of sanctity of life is the gospel. It is the gospel. So if you're here today, I want to make sure that you know that Christ forgives sins. I have never sinned in that area, but I have sinned in many other areas. In all sin, put our Savior on the cross. And he forgives. And so this is an important lesson for us as a church to be reminded of these truths. In way of introduction, I just want to remind you as I prayed, God is the God of life. He said, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then there came a moment in his creation where he spoke life and Adam was formed. He formed him and breathed into him life. Adam would not have life if God would not have given him life. He is the giver of life. John read today out of that blessed psalm, and I I hope you just 
I'm not going to get to that psalm today in this message, but I wanted it to be heard because it is one of the most worshipful psalms as you read, isn't it? As you think about this God who knows every movement of us, every waking moment. He knows us from the foundations of the world, the Bible tells us, and draws us to himself, and yet he also is intimately acquainted with all of my ways, even the forming of me cell by cell in the womb of my mother. He has such an intimate role with us. And in that text, the Bible says he ordains our days before there were one. That's astounding, isn't it? I can't outlive one breath that God has ordained to me. I can't get in better shape. I can't eat better. I can't do all of that. Now, quality of life could be a problem, right? But I cannot add one moment to my life. That's the God who fashions babies in the womb. He's a giver of life, and He's a giver of death. Death is a great gift to mankind, especially those who believe in Jesus Christ. He set the angels at the gate of the garden to keep them from getting back to the tree of life where they would live forever in a sinful state. God blesses us that this life in this fallen world comes to an end. And we step out of this life into the most glorious future we could ever even imagine as the scriptures uh, explains them. And so he gives breath and life. Acts chapter 17 reminds us that he puts us in the time he wants us to live. Like me, I always wanted to live in the 1800s. I, cowboy flair of me, I don't know why. But God did not want me there. He wanted me here. He wanted me born on October 21st, 1964. That's when he wanted me to come into this world. And he controls all of that. And we give him praise for that because nothing happens outside of his control. And so when we come to the issue of abortion, we come to the issue of of death of the elderly, death of special needs people, this strikes a chord with Christians. This, this shakes a fist in the face of a God who owns and holds all things. And it is to be taken with great seriousness. I want to give you some thoughts here this morning. I trust these will challenge us, cause us to be more involved with ways that our church can serve Some of these statements are strong, but I want you to hear them. Number one, abortion is part of a long, long war against God. Abortion is a part of a long war against God. It is the God of life versus the domain of death. Jesus spoke to the Pharisees who were controlled by their father who was the devil John chapter 8, verse 44, he says, your father's a liar. And he's a murderer from the beginning. Did you ever catch that? He's a murderer from the beginning. Who do you think is behind the abortion movement? The murderer. The one who hates the highest creation of God. And if he can get them in the womb, if he can not let them take a breath of this air on this earth, he thinks he wins. So this is a long war against God by Satan himself. And Satan is not alone. He has gathered a great, great herd of followers. And they together war against God. See, we believe abortion is a war against God, a sin and evil against God, because it's God who uniquely forms man in the womb. He's a person former. (laughs) He he uniquely does that. You should see my perspective even right now. (laughs) How uniquely all of you are. You're made so differently from the person uh, uh, sitting right next to you. 
You, you, you are uniquely designed by God. And so when we attack this, we attack the, the, the creator's right, the king of the universe, who gives each and every person existence. We believe that abortion is a war against God and is evil because it takes life which God gives the privilege to have. God gives the privilege to have. And I think it's a blessed privilege to have life. We're going to see in Job, there was times Job wished that he would not have even came from the womb. Died in his mother's womb because of the trials he was going through. But it is a blessed life. And even Job said this. He said, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So both life and death is a blessing of God. And Job, in that time, in that early trial, began to understand he does that. It's his choice. And so when we talk about abortion, when we talk about taking the life of another, uh, what some call a non-criminal death, that privilege belongs to God. And it crosses a line that God will not let go. See, we also believe that abortion is evil and wars against God because as babies are torn from the womb, they're torn from the womb as image bearers. They're not just tissue, they're, they're image bearers. They reflect God. He, there's no other thing made in the image of God. No, no dog, no cat, no lion, no dinosaur, no nothing, anything like that except Jesus Christ and the Father and the Trinity sat down. The Holy Spirit said, let's make them in our image. Remember when John the Baptist in the womb of Elizabeth hears the pregnancy, about the pregnancy of Jesus and Mary, what does he do in that womb? He leaps. There's incredible life there. Born or unborn, there's dignity. The Bible says that the Spirit of God moved that little baby <laughs> to leap. And yet in our world, as Miss Elizabeth was here, she could abort John the Baptist. We believe that abortion is evil because God has revealed to us that his way is to care for the weak, the helpless, those who cannot speak. In the middle of Isaiah, you come to chapter 25. The book is strong, isn't it? Isaiah is a great preacher of the glory of God. He's doing it in the face of, of a rebellious nation. He's, he's prophesying the coming destruction of the, the northern tribes and eventually the southern tribes. He's talking about all the nations that God will allow to, to abuse the nation because of their sin. And he even talks about their judgment. In the middle of all of this judgment that's come, Isaiah breaks out in what's called a song of praise in chapter 25, and it's worth reading when you have a moment. But he talks about God and, and so many qualities about him in that text. And one, particularly one pertaining to this in verse 4, he says, For you have been a defense for the helpless. Now, I want you to think about this. When nations move away from God, when people move away from God individually or corporately, they do not care for the helpless. No matter what their political platform is, it all becomes about power. And so what happens is when you do not care about the things of God, those who are in the most desperate need, they get crushed the most. So in the middle of this, as this nation is rebelling against the God that birthed them, that Ezekiel says, I, I took you in your blood and made you a nation. Talking about they would have died in their blood. He reminds this nation, as Isaiah says, for you have been a defense for the helpless, a defense for the needy in his distress, a refuge from the storm, a shade from the heat. See, this is what God does for the weak and the helpless. And he watches this, and the Bible tells us in Revelation that he records the deeds of wicked men. See, 
See, if you're saved, that list will never be judged upon you because it was judged upon Jesus. If you're not, he will open the book and judge you. And he seems to have a great propensity against those who attack the defenseless. We also believe that abortion is a war against God and sinful because it's a sign of unbelief in the promises of God. God tells us that he will take care of us. People say, well, I can't live. It stops my way of life. It's, It's destroying my lifehood, and so they destroy a life. It's an absolute rejection against God and what he can do. Genesis 18 The angel of the Lord is there, probably the pre-incarnate Christ, saying, hey, next year you're going to have a baby, Sarah. Sarah's in the tent. (laughs) I'm 90. The Bible says, is there anything too difficult for the Lord? See, see, he has no limits to him. There is nothing that you and I come against that he cannot overcome. He he has the power to take us from the most difficult situations and rise us out of that, or he has the power to give you the grace and mercy to go through that difficult time. And when we reject that and take things into our own hands and say, I'm going to eliminate this problem because I don't like it and I don't want it and I don't care what God has said or done, you war against the Almighty. We believe that abortion is sinful and evil because those who perform the act know what they are doing no matter what they say they don't they don't any longer and, and if you've been watching it all or studying this at all they're not fighting it that it's murder anymore <laughs> they're, they're coming out now clearly yes we know we're killing them facts are too much there we're, we're killing them look at Romans 1 this is a familiar passage but tie it to this subject I want you to think through this Romans chapter 1 verse 21 says for even though they knew God they did not honor him as God God is creator giver of life, sustainer. It's, it's, it's in our founding documents. Millions of children every day put their hand over their heart and speak of the God that oversees, in, in our probably feeble way of thinking, oversees our nation. And yet, the Bible says, even though they knew God, they did not honor God in verse 21, honor him as God, or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations. And their foolish heart was darkened. To look at a sonogram and say that that is not child is not a miraculous work of God because we still don't know how to make life. They have no clue how to produce life. It's about as futile and darkness as ever can be. Drop down to verse 28. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, there's a point. And this is the third time God says this. God gave them over to deprive minds to do those things which are not proper, being filled with unrighteousness and wicked and greed, evil, full of envy, murder, Strife, deceit, malice, there are gossip, slanders, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And look at this last part. And although they know the ordinances of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same but they give heartily approval to those who practice them. There's no mistake. This is a war against God. This is hatred towards him. 
And just a couple more thoughts along this line is we believe that abortion is evil because it is essentially a way of providing people not to deal with their consequences. And, and folks, it is often our consequences that bring us to Christ. Did you come to Christ because you were perfect and your life was going swimmingly and you know that it was all going to end well and you weren't worried about your eternity? Heavens no. You looked at the Bible and the Bible said we're sinners and the wages of sin is and it's eternal. And God flooded our mind and our hearts with the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and we bent our knee to him by his grace and mercy and we received him as our Lord and Savior. We can't be a society that doesn't deal with sin. Certainly as a church. You can't watch golf anymore. Trying to watch a golf tournament. And ads for prescription medicine so you can live most immorally as you want without the fear of death is almost exactly what they said. A couple more things in this point. It's amazing, the Bible, uh, it's amazing in our land. Let me go this direction. We have what's called fetal homicidal laws. Guilty of manslaughter if you kill a pregnant woman. Double count. This week in Orlando, right here, hour away, two court cases went through. They passed judgment on life sentences. On both court cases, there was one person on each jury that they weren't able to get the death sentence because one person of the jury said, I don't believe the baby is life and that deserves death penalty. And both got life sentences, but now we'll pay for them for the rest of their lives. And justice will not be done until God comes. That just happened right here. Because, see, it's growing more and more that, oh, that's just tissue, that's not life. And yet, the court had the right to bring that charge against them of a double homicide. And yet people on a jury said, no, that's not life. See, it's inconsistent. We do fetal surgeries. Isn't it amazing what our medical world is doing? Saving lives. We know babies can live after 20, 22, 23, 24 weeks outside the womb. We've seen it many times. Most are killed even beyond this. So many deaths are killed beyond this. Babies now are, are threatened by governors and, and states within our union that we'll kill them on the table if we don't think that they're good for society. A baby living outside the womb or not attached to, a, to an umbilical cord, is, does that somehow make them different? I have a dear, dear sweet sister in the Lord back in California that we pray for. She's my administrator's daughter. She's 29 years old. She had cancer as a six-year-old. Her body has gone through so much. We can't believe she's alive. Uh, all her organs are shot. Every, almost every day she has to go to dialysis. She is kept alive because of a dialysis. 29 years old. Vibrant, beautiful young woman. What's the difference? Why don't we get rid of her? This, see, there's just such inconsistencies. If food and oxygen are, are what determines the person, we have trouble. Because this little person is tied to their mother. And food and oxygen come to him and he thinks and, he, and he's got fingernails and he's got fingerprints. and It's amazing as we look at this. And so the size of a human, whether it's one month outside and, and is smaller, is not relative to whether it's life. I'm so grateful for so many reasons. There, there are families in this church that have fought for the rights of unborn children and some of them are even raising them. Think a little farther with me. 
that these little humans have this genetic code God put in. It's amazing. You can go in and they can take DNA from these little babies that are forming. And guess what it links them to? Mom and dad. Not to some monkeys or something else. (laughs) They're humans. The chromosomes tell us that. We know what they're going to grow up to be. We know they're going to come out of that womb and they're going to be a little human. A soul. One that's going to need the Lord Jesus Christ. And this happens the moment egg and sperm meet. That little child is formed. And we know he or she is a human. At eight weeks, their organs are working, their brain is functioning, their heart is pumping, their liver is making blood cells, kidneys are cleansing fluids, fingerprints are being formed, and we just got a 3D ultrasound of my little grandson, little Oliver, and you can already see what he looks like. He's beautiful. And I can't wait to hold him. And I can't wait to share the gospel with him. This is what God does. But the killing goes on. God will win this war. He will win. But we fight on. We fight with ministries like Alpha and Warm and others. We fight on knowing that God's word tells us, Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not kill. Life is mine. There were some positive signs towards the end of the 90s. I don't know what they are now. I haven't caught up to all the numbers, but the nursing community was starting to move away from it. They didn't want to be involved with it as much. It moved from low 40s to high 60s of nurses saying, ah, yeah, I'm not working in that field. But the medical community has pushed back hard these last decade. They've put extra pressure on medical schools for reproductive health, and those numbers are rebounding in their favor. But they just can't get by it, can they, where life takes place. You remember Life magazine, don't you? It was little Maria Schweitzer was the unborn child's name. They were operating on her because she had spinal bifida. Towards the end of that operation, this little tiny hand comes out of the womb and grabs the finger of the surgeon. Shortly after that, another surgery took place. His name was baby Samuel. This time, they actually had photographers in the room. Randy Alcorn records this in one of his books. And it says that baby Samuel pushed his hands out of the womb and grabbed the surgeon's finger. Photographer Michael Clancy caught this astonishing act on film. And in an instant, Clancy, um, who was the doctor... No, actually, Clancy, who was a photographer, went from being pro-choice to pro-life. He said, I, totally, I was totally in shock for two hours after the surgery. I know now abortion is wrong. Of course, alongside these comes the development of so many problems of 50 years of abortion. 50 years now our nation has engaged in this. But God will show his hand. and He will not let it go. Number two, I need to move a little more quickly here. But number two, and most importantly, is Christ's glory must be our objective. Christ's glory must be our objective. Maria Calder, who helps run Alpha Pregnancy that our church supports, comes and meets with me once or twice a year, and we... We really just kind of get into a kind of little bit of a worship service, don't we, Maria? I see you back there. And we know, and one of the things we talk about and remind ourselves each and every time, because I want to hear it from her, I want to hear the goal is the gospel with these girls. If you build bigger barns but lose your soul, what have you come? What have you got? And so Jesus did not come to what we would say just to stop abortion. He came to save sinners. He came to die for all of us who commit sins. Luke 5, 20, uh, 32 says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. 
And so there is, there is one way to, to know God as your father. Whether you've had an abortion or you've lied or you were just born because you were brought into depravity. There is only one way to have God as your father as you come through the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no other hope. There is no other way. That is our message to all people who sin, whether it's an abortion or marriage or whatever it may be that you're struggling with. There is no other hope. And if you have come to Jesus, you've come to God, right? And you're no longer a child of wrath. He forgives you. He wipes away your sins. He atoned for them all completely. We're going to remember that here in a moment in the Lord's table. And he sets you free from that. So my, my main thought of all of this information I'm giving you this morning is that we are not looking to Jesus Christ as some politician. We look to him as a savior. That is the hope. There are a lot of religious people out doing a lot of work in this area. But too many of them, I've been to many of them throughout our ministry, the gospel is is somewhere down on the bottom of the stack. It needs to be on the top. That's the only hope for these girls. That's the only hope for their children is that Jesus Christ is preached. He came into the world to save sinners, to give life, to bear the wrath of God, to become our sins so we would gain his righteousness. And the most important thing that we say today is that there is justification. You can be justified. You can have your sins removed by faith alone in Christ alone. And that's the goal. And so I know I'm speaking to mostly believers in this room, but the believer's life must respond to this. And I think that's why we talk about this every once in a while. And, and we, as we get into it in the passage, we pass through it somewhere. We stop and we talk about these things because a Christian's life can't say, oh, God justified me, but I turn my back on godless behavior in my own personal life or in a nation's life. We can't do that, can we? As believers, there's, there's an attitude and action that now come. There's fruit that begins to develop in our life. We know what's wrong. We start to love the things God loves and hate the things God hates. That's the change that takes place in us. We start to grow into his image. And there's a desire there that, for things that, that he does that we did not have on our own. And we begin to engage And that might be working at Alpha. That might be doing overseas missions. That might be teaching children down the hall or or caring for somebody in need. God moves us to participate with him as we grow in grace. And so the eternal life that we long for starts in this temporal life, right? Right now we serve knowing that we move forward. Psalms 82, 3 through 4, and we join the Lord in this. Vindicate the weak and the fatherless. See, this is what Christians, we get engaged with this, right? Vindicate the weak and the fathers. Do justice to the afflicted and destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them out of the hand of the wicked. Wow, what a verse. That should be placarded on so many things that we do. Because it ties us to what we carry is the gospel to this. Someone might say, well, I, I, I believe in the Lord Jesus, but I don't know what to do. Stand for life. Have a conversation with somebody. Pray. Give. Find a way to serve. Because that's what, that's what must happen. That's what must come from us. Jesus said, look, in, in Matthew five sixteen, let your light so shine before men that when they see your good deeds, they'll give glory to the, to the Father in heaven. Let your light, let your salvation, let what God has done be seen before men. And so we serve our Lord, don't we? So, so Christ, is the, his glory is at stake here, and, and this is the main objective. Third thought. God is at work in the womb. I want you to turn to Job 31. I'm sorry for the long intro. No, I'm not. This, this passage here, and, and we can sure 
sometime teach through the book of Job. I'm sure we will, and, and we can get to this. But what an amazing text this is. Job chapter 31, our verses were 13 through 15. We'll look at them in a moment. But just to set some context here, Job, <laughs> this, this dear, dear friend and brother has become a, a bit of a science project. <laughs> Satan is prowling around the earth. God says, hey, have you seen my servant Job? Job probably read this later and said, I wish that would have never happened. (laughs) He's righteous. So this test begins to happen unknown to Job. Eventually comes down to these three so-called friends of his. They have no idea what God's doing, and so there's a constant attack, isn't there? Job finds himself eventually defending himself. Later, I I believe Job repents over, not so much what he said, but he found pride in his life, and he repented in dust in the last chapter before the Lord as he restores him. But you know, 31 starts out with this covenant that he's made with his eyes not to look upon another woman, um, he, he starts working his way down through this. And he says, I have, I've kept these things before God. I, I, I have strived to live for him. He's, he's, I think he's genuine. I, I don't think he's, and certainly there, he knows there's pride there. But when we read this, we go, yeah, Job, you, you've been a pretty good guy. God himself is saying he's a righteous man. So he gets to verse 13 after making some other statements about his life and he says, if I have despised the claim of my male and female slaves when they file a complaint against me, what then could I do when God arises? And when he calls me to account, what will I answer him? Did not he who made me in the womb make him? And in the same one fashion us in the womb? Well, notice this. There, there's, there's some kind of human justice taking place in here from Job's account. It's, it's crucial to the Christian life. We, we're, we're concerned about justice, aren't we? We're concerned about those who are opposed upon and are, are weak. And it's clear, Job, even in Job's mind, he knows God cares about these things. And, and, and he knows that there will be a count given. Now, what's the basis of Job's sense of helplessness or even guilt before God if he's mistreated these slaves in some way, um, if he has ignored their cries and the complaints that they're going through? Why, why is he trembling here? Why does he say this? If I have despised these claims and, and if God arises, what will I answer? I mean, what's making this happen? Look at verse 15. This is why he's doing this. Did not he who made me in the womb make him? And the same one fashion us in the womb. It is amazing, Job traces back the rights of of the slave to the womb and traces back his rights to the womb. He makes no distinction between them. Notice that Job stresses the fundamental equality of him and his slaves. He says this, did not he who made me in the womb make him? What a statement of equality. They are not tissue. (laughs) They are not inanimate objects. They are not some sort of cartoons. In essence, Job is saying, him and I are utterly dependent creatures. We have nothing outside of God. We owe all things to him. We are not self-sufficient like he is. We belong to him. He is our maker. Look at the statements he is making. We exist because of him, is what he's saying. Notice that Job does not pay attention to what parents contribute to this conception, right? This is a big issue today. People's rights. He doesn't pay attention to that. He doesn't talk about people who came together and conceived this child. He keeps turning it back, God made, God made, God made, God made. 
That's where he talks. And I think this is so important that we understand that what's happening in the womb is the work of God. It's God rotting out, bringing out his creation, developing it, showing his hand in strength and power. We, we look at things as gestations and, and trimesters and it's so fun to have a grandson on the way to hear how Izzy's doing and how the baby's doing and it's so enjoyable. But when we look closer, we realize God is at work in little Oliver's life. He's forming him. And he loves him and he's making him in the image of a triune God. And so there's so many reasons that abortion is wrong, but ultimately abortion is wrong because it assaults this person forming God who is at work within the womb. One more last thought here on this. Notice that Job, when he's talking here, he underlines and he stresses that the one and the same God made the slave and the free in the womb. There are people who really hurt this text. And early on in American Christian uh, churches use this text to say, well, you know, it's the way God put you there and he put me here, so let's just all accept it. That's not what the Bible's saying here. It's not that at all. It underlines that the one and the same God who makes men and women and people and, and their ways of life that, that they have is the same God that, that's at work. He's, he's no different. And so you may have been given privilege or you may have not been given privilege and, or you were born into wealth or not. God is our God no matter what is in our pocketbook. <laughs> no matter the color of our skin, the economic status, he's, he's ours. And, and certainly we do accept where he has placed us. In fact, the Bible said, as I said earlier in Acts chapter 17, he, he sets the epics and times where we live and where we dwell. He, he puts you together with the person sitting next to you. He creates little ones from those two people. And we accept that because he is in absolute control of that. And so I think Job is here trembling with reverence and fear because he and his servants are persons created in the image of God and he does not want to offend God at all. And so these are employees of his and he would not want to wrong them in any way. Such great lessons there, isn't it? How we treat humanity. Last thought, and then we'll go to the table. What can Christians do to protect life while glorifying God? I think we have to answer that today because I don't want you to go away going, well, that was good, I already believe that. I want our Christian life, I want the gospel to have an impact in us in all kinds of areas, not, not just this area, but every area that, that, we, that Christ is just more than this get out of jail free kind of card that's, that's not Christianity, that's not salvation. We believe in a Lord who ma- is now master of our life and so let me just give you some thoughts. First of all, pray. When's the last time you prayed for Alpha Pregnancy Center? And prayed that God would give those women over there tremendous strength and courage and that would be a gospel-centered ministry. When have you prayed as you heard of a woman who has got pregnant? Have you prayed that she would receive Christ and that she would keep her baby? Pray. That's one of the things we have. We walk into the very presence of God. We have that right as his children now. By the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. So church, are we praying? We have a country in a lot of trouble right now more divided than it's been in a long time. And this issue is right at the forefront of a lot of it. Are you praying? And then practical things. It will help out. Join. Go to Maria. Say, what can I do? It isn't just, it isn't just Alpha Pregnancy Center. There's others that are around here that we know are doing good works and we pray for them as well. But think about our warm ministry. Guess who Alpha's clients are often? And guess who Planned Parents' clients are? Our warm 
ministry. You know, for six years, our gals have been gone up there every Monday night and have preached the gospel to those ladies. It is a tremendous ministry. They give their time. They watch babies. They hold babies. They weep with those gals. They share the gospel with them. There's so much there. Let's go a little farther. How about our prison ministry? Dorman, Jeff, Bill, all these guys are involved with our prison ministry because that's the other side of it, right? It takes two to make a baby. See, there's ways that are way more than just, well, you know, I'll give a blanket. Dream. How about dream a little bit? I am always asking the question, can our church do this? People go, why'd you start a seminary? Because our church can. And I think it's our church's responsibility to train the next generation. Not all churches can do that, but ours can. So I dream a little bit. Could we, this church, provide resources, a place where we could be pro-life in a way that is tangible? I don't know. I just love to dream. <laughs> I love to say, God, I, I, I don't want to restrict you. What do you want to do here, and can we join you? I love our push for adoption here. We have a number of babies adopted in this church. We have people working with little ones that are not theirs biologically. They're in the foster care system. They're, I think this is just monumental. I think it's so important. And maybe you, you say, well, I'm not quite in a position to do that. We'll care for those who are doing it. We have people that stand on the stage who take in children. We have teachers and grandparents and all kinds of people doing things for the, those that, are mis, that don't have the fortunes we do. And, and so find them and encourage them. And ask God, is this something you want us to do? Families are taking on children that are not biologically theirs, that have already had a start in life by someone else, and they feel as though, they believe, let me say this, they believe God is leading them to make them a forever family together. You and I should applaud that and praise God. It's such a, 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 it's such a, a testimony of the gospel, isn't it? That's what God did. He took uh, those who didn't deserve his family heritage, wipes out of our past, and makes us his children. Speak out. This is a huge issue. Man, is it gonna, it's going to become a fiery one here. Our current sitting president is the first sitting president to go to the, uh, the pro-life rally that happened this year. And I'm not here pushing any agenda. I, I, you know, I, I'm just telling you. The, the facts are the facts. This president has done more for the pro-life than any president we've had. No matter what you see and everything else he does, he's done that. And I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful God raised a man to do that. If you have not listened to what he said this week, you should go listen to it. It's actually astounding what God put in the mouth of that man. Finally, forgive. When we see sins against the nation, sins against people, sins against the unborn, it's hard, isn't it? I think there's a side to the pro-life that's, that's godless. Back in the 90s, 80s and 90s, there was abortion clinics blown up, all kinds of terrible things. Our church, our last church, had a Planned Parenthood uh, facility on the corner of the property we sat on. I drove into my office for six and a half years and saw that every day. We worked so hard and begged God to make a prolific children's ministry literally 50 feet across from their door. And we did everything we could to say we believe in life. We were kind and gracious to them. We preached the gospel every moment we got to them. And we trained people to love children and point them towards Christ. We learned to forgive because we have been forgiven. Father, thank you for this time this morning. These are not easy subjects in the culture of the world, but they're easy subjects for us. 
because we believe in the heart of hearts, Lord, that you are the giver of life. You ordain the days, Lord. Every, every person ever conceived is done according to your plan. And you know them. And so, Lord, we, we want to align ourselves with you, not with, not with some political stand, Lord. We don't, we don't want to align with uh, politics. That's, that's a failed system. That, that'll all crash. We want to align ourselves with the God of creation. The one who gives life and breath and all things and holds all things in his hands. We want to align with you. And so Lord, we plead with you that you would use Riverbend Community Church to be a lighthouse in this area. We would not turn a, a Christian deaf ear to the needs of those who suffer that are helpless. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for so many who have been patriots in this, this avenue, Lord. They have stood up. They have taken hold of the mantle here in a sense, Lord. Thank you for them. Thank you for our ministries that, that work so hard in these areas, Lord. But Father, if anything, just help us to be mindful of us. Help us to thank God that you forgave us of our sins by hearing this. And help us to be instruments of forgiveness used by God to produce a gospel message, to tell a gospel message to those who suffer from sin. Whether it's the sin of abortion or just being born a sinner. Help us be a message of forgiveness. Lord, thank you for this message. We thank you for this truth in God's word. We thank you that all things that society struggles with, we struggle with, all find their answers in your word, Lord. Help us to be good students of that word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.